the Inspiring Educators Podcast, a space where you can let go, learn, laugh, and be inspired. Let's first begin with introductions of our inspiring educators. Inspiring educators, introduce yourselves. Hey, everybody. It's Lila, the educator motivator, coming to you from Los Angeles. You can find me on Twitter at, at Miss Lila Noor, at M-S-L-A-I-L-A-N-U-R. This week, I am grateful for rest and relaxation that is up on us. Winter break is almost here, whether yours is only one week, two week, or a lovely three like we have here at LAUSD. I'm ready for it. I'm so grateful <laughs> that it is, is built into the schedule that I get to sit down and, and do nothing, that I get to wake up um, at a time other than 5 a.m. Um, and I get to be back home. I don't spend 12 hours outside of the house or 12 hours at work. I, I start pushing 10 to 12 around this time of year. Um, I, I'm just, I'm thankful for the season of being able to not have to go to work. Granny, I love my kids, but I need, <laughs> I, want you, I want you to think that I don't love them. I love them, but I need some rest and relaxation. I'm grateful that it's upon the way. You deserve that break, Lila. Well, well deserved. Great afternoon or greetings, great people. Uh, Coach Jay here, Jadrian Grimes. My Twitter is at Jadrian Grimes. That's J-A-D-R-I-E-N-G-R-I-M-E-S. I I spent 13 years in the banking slash financial services industry. I left earlier this year to um, work on a budding career in the youth development and education sector. What I'm grateful for this week um, is an amazing network of uh, peers um, and professionals and associates that I have around me um, that help keep me accountable and hold me accountable for all of my actions on a daily basis. So I'm a firm believer that your network increases your net worth um, educationally and financially, right? So I'm just thankful for a phenomenal network of individuals that I have around me that Keep me accountable. This is Dr. Christopher J. Childs, the academic rock star. My social media handle is at DRK Childs. I'm a mathematics specialist. My goal and what I do and my passion and what I love, I help teachers make sense of mathematics and teach students better. So I want to make better educational experiences through the world of mathematics. This week, I am grateful for health. I've been under the weather lately. I'm still a little bit under the weather, but getting better. So I'm grateful for my health because I'm constantly on the go under that grind nonstop. And you realize when your body is tired, sometimes you need that time to rejuvenate, relax, and just enjoy health in itself. And I'm grateful for health within itself. This week's hot topic, poor communities, poor schools. You're probably thinking, what do we mean by poor communities, poor schools? Most people believe that students do better in well-funded schools and that public education should provide a level playing field for all children. Nearly half of the funding for public schools in the United States is provided through local taxes, generating large differences in fundings between wealthy and impoverished communities. Such differences exist among states, among school districts within each state, and even among schools within the districts. Efforts to reduce these disparities have provoked controversy and resistance. So I'm going to put it off to my aspiring educators. What are your thoughts among schools, inequities, and funding? And why, when you go through a poor community, 
they have a poor school. Man, it, it goes back. <laughs> it goes back quite far um, into our history as to why we got these uh, these poor schools and these poor communities. It's, it's funny because after we recorded one of our, our podcasts, uh, Chris started talking to us about redlining that was going on. I mean, when you think about certain things like that, that have happened historically amongst um, these poor communities or these communities of brown and black children that are now becoming poor because of other things that have been um, forced upon them is it goes, it, it's, it goes back to everything that's happened before us as well as everything that's currently happening now, where unfortunately we still have people saying that, you know, these communities don't deserve it. They don't know how to take care of it, haven't earned it, et cetera, where, you know, it's just this stigma or this belief that our brown and black kids don't deserve it. They don't, they don't care. Proof, proof is in the pudding. I mean, ride through a lot of these uh, impoverished neighborhoods and underserved neighborhoods. And you know what? Their schools and education system just doesn't look like um, the affluent areas of town. I mean, they're almost polar opposite. Mm -hmm. So it's been, it's 2018 right now. Okay. And it's been like that forever, it seems. And there has been nothing that's being done about it at all on the political level, on the business level, on whatever level. Um, it just seems like not a little bit, it seems like just nothing has been done. I mean, those neighborhoods are being forgotten about. Um, and when will it change? Will it ever change? That's my question. Hmm. And what is it going to take to change it? I think we a lot of times depend upon politicians, but let's be real. Politicians have not changed it for years. We need to start having more grassroots efforts. And as parents get more involved in their schools going to the school board meetings, putting pressure on the school board members and voting school board members out who do not have their child's best interest at hand. We can't just sit around and wait and think some magical utopia is going to happen. If you want power, you're going to have to fight for that power. What, what percentage of parents do you think are actually doing that, right? If you could just label it. I mean, it's a random question, but what percentage of parents do you think are inept enough to one, no what's going on behind the scenes and where the funding is going and that are actually going to the meetings and want to be heard. I think that's the thing. You made a good point. How many parents, it's two different things. One, how many parents want to be involved? Second, how many parents know how to be involved? Mm. I'm under the belief, and I may be naive, the typical parent wants what's best for their child and wants to help their child. But that same typical parent does not know how to help their child or be involved. Absolutely. When I think about the, the number of parents at my new school that are so highly involved, I mean, leading school tours, helping volunteer for field trips, raising money, putting on campaigns. A, these are parents that do have the ability and the time to, to dedicate to be able to help as much as they do, which we know in our more our, our, our less affluent communities, those parents are working. 
you know, those parents are working those hours that we would need though, that help. And sometimes they're working more than one job. So, but when I look at the parents that are actually putting forth the time and the effort in our school and everything that's come from it, it's because of them. Well, yes, teachers don't have the time and the energy and, and the ability to rally as much as they do. I mean, they sit around there inviting other community members, like we talked about before, to get involved in all sorts of things. Like those parents, I believe that a very high percentage of them want to help. The unfortunate thing is not that, and, and yes, some of them don't know how, but some of them simply may not have the time or the time within the time like slots that we've created. Is that charge being led like within the school or is it really just parents that are stepping to the plate and saying, hey, this is what we want. This is what we're going to do. I guess how can they spread that message of what they're doing effectively to the masses of parents to get them involved? But I think that's part of it. I think schools do a decent job of adequately using newsletters, social media, email, letting parents know what is going on. But if you're a parent and you don't have the time to commit to bring about change, to show up to the meetings or be actively involved, how much, let's say, power do you have to make things better? I think about my, I think about my daughter's school. When we have like a PT, uh, let's say, honors assembly or some type of award ceremony performance, the auditorium is packed. But when they have a PTA meeting, or a school advisory council meeting, you can count on my hands how many parents are present. Mm. And at those meetings, those are the ones you kind of see what's the direction people are pushing, what agendas people are pushing. And since they're at the meetings and at the decision-making table, they have the power in that instant. Holistically, and, and this is, I might be a little devil's advocate here, do the schools really want the parent involvement that we speak about? Do they really, really want that based off of their agendas and what they want to push coming from the school from a financial perspective? Do they really want parents involved to give pushback and not necessarily pushback, uh, but give their opinions to say, hey, we would want this to be like A, B, C, D. Do they really want that, the schools? Really? A great leader. Or a good leader, yes. Because Got that it. feedback helps you, as you always yep. say, Iron Sharpens Iron, that feedback helps you build your school, make it better, and you have the parental support. And when you get that parental support, when things are going good, they're there for you. Even when things are bad, they still understand your mindset. But when they're locked out of that conversation, that's why I think you have some of the problems. What are your thoughts, Lila? I mean, when you add in all those parents to build your community, you're, you're adding to your village of those that are there to do the one job that we're there for, and that is to teach our kids. That is to help grow them or, or give them the tools that they need in order to develop and grow into the, the creative creators and the innovators that we want them to be. So even if, you know, there may be some, some bumps in the road or some ups and downs with having some pros and cons with having parents involved in providing their opinions and their support or, you know, uh, pushing back, as Jay says, in some areas, at the end of the day, the more, the merrier. In, in my in my honest opinion, like Chris said, the great leader wants more people for the support, 
for the opinions, for the suggestions. I mean, if you don't want suggestions, you don't want to grow. And if you don't want to grow, that's saying that you think you already at 100% at the very top, you got it together, you don't need no help no more. And that's not true of absolutely anybody in this world. So to say that you don't want parental involvement is to say that you don't want yourself or your school or your teachers or your kids to grow, period. And that's the thing, but we got to figure out a way to get parents involved. Even that busy parent, I know my daughter's school, they utilize Facebook Live during certain meetings. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a great way to get more people. And it's only like one or two people on the live feed, but that's one or two more people that otherwise would not be involved. But I think two parents have to see the fruits of their labor. So administrators have to be proactive. If parents want, let's say, 100 pizzas every Friday delivered to the school, and the principal says, we can't do 100, but we'll give you 10, at least give them something so they know our, our voices are heard. We're a part of this political process within the school system. I think as well, like when you say the fruits of their labor, I think parents need to really know how their involvement is going to impact the school. And that's one thing that I don't think that is always very clear. You know, okay, you want me to come and help in, let's just say, stuff envelopes. You want me to come and help and do X, Y, and Z. Because of our parent, um, our parent group that we have at our school, teachers are able to go to conferences. Teachers are able to to buy software that our students need or to buy equipment to create, um, you know, to do science labs. And when our parents are saying, oh my gosh, you're doing such amazing things. Look at that. Like, I love that. I love this. I love that. Would you know how this happened? This happened because we had these 10 parents go and talk to this person over here at this company and we got this grant or we got this parent to go and um, talk to the community restaurant to donate those 10 pizzas, you know, for them to actually see in order for you to keep seeing this being developed for your child or for the school to keep growing in this way, it it requires parents. And it's for them to directly see how their, how their involvement is going to impact the school, not just saying, oh yeah, well, you know, I help put the stamps on the envelopes or I help, you know, get the kids so pushing the class, like, do they really feel like that's making a big impact? I, I feel like it's, um, while we're also, they want to see the fruits of their labors, they also want to see how big that fruit is going to be. I don't know, I'm probably taking that analogy or metaphor too far. But, <laughs> but I, th- I think you're on the right track with how big it's going to be. But also you mentioned some things, those things cost money. Mm-hmm. So we have to get people to be aware uh, what, when it comes to public school funding, that schools are not equally supported in those areas. And some of the reasons they're not equally supported because of historical experiences in regards to school, beliefs about the causes of poverty, and then also flawed research. So as we think about these things, the things we're talking about, a lot of the affluent schools get them because they have the parental involvement. That parental involvement typically involves funding from parents or a different people within their network, but your underfunded schools or your quote unquote poor schools, they miss out on all of these things because of that almighty dollar is missing from the equation. Mm-hmm. Gotta figure that piece out. What'd you say, Jay? Gotta figure that piece out. 
it's, 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 I don't know. I feel like it's, it's difficult on a whole lot of levels too, because again, you have that barrier. Like when I, when I think about the parents who volunteer at our school, they don't have nine to fives. I'm going to just keep it a hundred. Like a lot of the parents that are there doing the things that they can do or their job, they have the type of flexibility or strong enough of a career to say, you know what, I can take four days off whenever I feel it, you know, and go and help out at the school for this week, or I can, you know, not go in this day, or again, just aren't working the typical nine to five. So they have that ability to come in and help all the time. There's that barrier that getting our parents to get involved requires completely adjusting when and how we need them. That's unique how you talk about the parent involvement. In my daughter's class, there's something called a room mom. And the room mom is there doing the school day to help out. And I'm thinking like, the room, and it's not a bad thing. The room mom cannot have a regular job for her her to be there doing the day. And again, that's when we think about the funding issue, it goes beyond just the school's funding, but the resources from the parents themselves. Mm -hmm. If you're in a poor community, how many poor communities have people who have enough funding where mom doesn't have to work, but she can go help out at the school Monday through Friday as needed. Or that her job can donate X, Y, and Z just because it's that type of organization or corporation. You know, we've had so many parents who are like, oh, I work at Xerox or I work at this, or I know somebody that works at Raytheon. Or I know somebody that works at these really high up companies that have the ability to say, yeah, we'll, you know, put a couple thousand on a check and donate. Like we'll donate 10 of this, these pieces of equipment. We don't always have our parents in these poor communities able to do those things. And, and that, I mean, maybe we need some of those individuals that are in the affluent communities that have those types of jobs and opportunities to step to the plate and say, Hey, we're going to help this area. Just because the simple fact that this is L.A. and we are all one L.A. or this is Orlando, we are all one Orlando, or this is Atlanta, we are all one Atlanta. And we want to be the pillars in helping our community or our region move forward. Maybe that's what it's going to take since the individuals that are within the underserved communities can't get to the schools. Maybe we need to get somebody else stepping to the plate. I mean, I guess it goes back to what we talked about. I think we hit on another episode where if something doesn't necessarily affect you, then you're not going to worry about it. Well, maybe we need to get enough people to start worrying about it and say, hey. That comes into, we've considered that and made it out to be socialism. Mm-hmm. And that's the bad part about this whole quote unquote media's movement to defining and framing what socialism is. When those in power are schools that have become affluent over time. At some point, socialism, quote unquote, helped them. And I'm saying quote unquote because that's when we get into the historical things of wealth and privilege, how it was designed. So socialism is not a bad thing if we really care about schools and if schools are quote unquote all one. We need to get out of this mindset. I don't want to help that poor school across town. They should build themselves by their own bootstraps. When in reality, no one has done that. If you look at history, you look at America, you look at all the things, no one has truly built themselves up by the bootstraps. Some form of quote unquote socialism or different programs have been put in place for those 
who have risen to their affluent status. And if any of our listeners want to challenge me on that, feel free to reach out to me on social media. We can definitely have that conversation, that debate. Socialism is not something new. Those in power have used it to get to where they're at. Now they're saying that socialism is not good for America. Do as we say, not as we do. And if any of the listeners want to take on, this is almost like a call to action. If you want to actually pull up, if you're a part of, if you you work at, or if your child goes to, and you're one of those parents who are able to contribute, you know, this is your call to action to actually say, you know what, our school does already have a lot, like a lot, a lot, you know, more than they could ever have asked for if they were at the school you know, up the street. For instance, the school's campus that we're on doesn't necessarily have as many of the amenities that we do and things that we have access to. What does it mean for us to actually help build up the school's campus that we're on to not feel as though we're so segregated from them or to build up the school up the street, you know, so that we can feel like LA isn't doing as badly as we are, or not to feel like to actually make it so that LA is not doing as badly as we are, even though we have so many kids here in our district and our our county. It's time. It's time. As as we think about it, Ben, it's time. I'm going to give you some ways to support equity and funding. Become familiar with the facts and issues associated with equity and funding in the U.S. schools. Become politically active in support of funding reform. If you represent the media, encourage the production of news items and editorial pieces that focus on attention on inequities in funding. Focus efforts on strategies more often found in well-funded schools that are known to be associated with greater student achievement, such as recruiting, motivating and retaining qualified teachers, and reducing class size in the early grades. We have to better educate the public and the equities of funding and their impact and their true impacts, not the political impacts or not a personal belief, what are the true impacts of everybody having a high quality education? As we think about everybody having a high quality education, I'm going to throw it back to my inspiring educator co-host. What are some of your final thoughts on this topic poor communities poor schools and as our listeners are probably listening it's bigger than just a poor community poor school it's a bigger issue but we're going to bring it back a little bit full circle with these final thoughts in regards to what do we feel and what are some things you all should be doing as educators i i feel it's 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 it's, it's you're stuck between a rock and a hard place a little bit especially if you have kids yourself and you want them to be in schools, um, public schools, and to, and for you to, for them to have an education that's going to be worthwhile, that's going to be everything that you want them to have, but also knowing that there are certain disparities within certain communities that you may want them to go to for, you know, whatever number of reasons. But as educators ourselves, I feel like we have a, a duty or a responsibility to actually be in some of those schools and to help reform, you know, create reform and to make change for the better. Or to, you know, even if we're not in those schools, to start having this conversation about how do we help the schools that do not have what we have, that are not in the position that we are in. We got to start the conversation and we got to actually create that critical action 
not just the conversation. Yeah, I, I like to pose a challenge to all parents. Uh, wherever you can, uh, when you can, um, get involved uh, politically, voluntarily in your schools. Um, become abreast of all the funding efforts that are taking place um, in your area, in your community, in your region. Know what's going on. Know who, what representatives or whoever you need to reach out to, whether it's school board or wherever. Um, and, and just, it's a prerequisite for you of being a parent. Um, your child is depending on you, your child's friends, your neighbors, everyone's depending on you. Take that extra step, take that extra um, assertive effort to go out and just be involved, area, every area um, of the school and in the community. And I want to leave you all with this. To prosper, businesses require a well-educated workforce. Deep education funding cuts weaken that future workforce by diminishing the quality of elementary and high schools. At a time when the nation is trying to produce workers with the skills to master new technologies and adapt to the complexities of a global economy, large cuts in funding from basic education undermine a crucial building block for future prosperity. So we have to think about it through the lens of preparing the next workforce. Are we doing that through providing every child a high quality education? Think about that this week. Let's transition now to our inspirational moment. This inspirational moment is designed to inspire you, to encourage you, to give you a couple of nuggets to keep going and doing what you're doing. This week's inspirational moment is being brought to you by Coach Jay, as some call him, or Mr. Jadrian Grimes. Take it away. Hello. Thanks, Chris. I, I was having a conversation with uh, one of my best friends uh, the other day. And as we're getting, we know we're in the fourth quarter of the year right now. And, you know, 2018 is, is closely becoming to a close. And what do most or a lot of individuals, I won't say most, but a lot of individuals, they around this time of year start to making a list of, of New Year's resolutions and things that they want to do um, going into New Year, into the New Year, plans that they want to make and, and all of that good stuff. And the question I pose to him is I say, how do you know some of that stuff that you're putting on that list can't happen or manifest before 2018 is out? And, and what brought me to that is the number eight spiritually, not to get too deep, um, is the number for a new beginning. If you look at the number eight and how it goes, I mean, it's circular all the way around. It's, it's the only never ending number, um, one through nine that we have, right? So how do you know things can't happen before 2018 is out? We're looking forward to 2019. Yes, and it's great to plan. It's great to do things. But how, do you don't, how don't you know that you have a supernatural blessing coming right now over the next 30 days, whether it be better health, uh, this job, or this opportunity, or this new business that you're looking to start in 2019? Once you start putting the plans together for it right now, who is to say that won't come to fruition? or you get other thoughts or get other funding before this year is even out, but you're looking towards 2019. So remember that number eight and what it means spiritually. We still have time left in this year for things to happen. Um, it's been a great year for most. It's been a rough year for some. Um, it's been a tumultuous year for some, but you know what? You're still here. And some of the things that you want to happen next year can still happen over the next 30 days. So think about that. Um, you're blessed to be a blessing. Favor is all on you. Don't ever forget it. Um, it's okay to plan for 2019. 
but a lot of that stuff that you want to happen and that you're looking to happen can still happen on this year. So I hope that resonates with one or two of our listeners. Um, and as always, we thank you so much for listening and we hope that um, we're able to touch at least one of you to do something great this week or next week. Come on. All we need is one. Just one. Just one. one. Thank you all for tuning to the Inspire Educators podcast. We thank each and every one of you and think about that number eight as you go through the week. We are. Out of here. We'll holler. <laughs> Happy holidays. <laughs> Bye.